Are you ready to explore life's possibilities? Go from ordinary to extraordinary. Then it's time to live limitless. To live limitless. Here's your host, Matt Bailey. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Live Limitless podcast. Today is January 2nd. So happy New Year's. I hope you uh, had a great 2016 and I definitely wish you um, an even better 2017. I'm really excited to finally publish this podcast I did about a couple months ago with uh, Derek Murphy. So Derek Murphy is the man behind creativeindie.com as well as urbanepics.com. Uh, I actually met Derek in a Facebook group back when I was writing my first ebook uh, called Limitless Travel, and he actually helped me create kind of this cool like marketing image. You know, it kind of looked like my book was on the beach, that kind of stuff, and sent it to me, and that's how I got to to know him. So Derek is a philosophy major turned book designer and writer with a PhD in comparative um, uh, comparative literature. He launched CreativeIndie.com to help authors and artists turn their passions into full-time businesses. However, he also is a writer himself, specializing in young adult fiction, and you can find all those books on urbanepics.com. So Derek's also a digital nomad who often lives and writes in the locations of his fictional stories, which is pretty cool. Like It's, it's, it's always amazing to meet these people who not only are doing their passion, in this case uh, it's writing, but he's also created this this lifestyle where he's able to travel and live in the places where he's writing the story, which I can just imagine um, just adds another another layer to the book. Um, and one of his passions is actually staying in castles, which he was staying in at the time that, uh, that we the, we recorded this podcast. And his one of his dreams, long term dreams, is buying a castle so that he can host uh, his own uh, own writing workshops. For people, so it's 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 a pretty cool story. We talk a lot about uh, about writing, about self publishing, about marketing a book or any kind of project online for that matter. Uh, so definitely, if you're someone who's writing a book, uh, thinking of writing a book, debating whether to self publish or not, or looking for ways to market your book or online project, this is a great podcast for you. Um, so you'll learn, we're going to talk about how to become a writer, how to self-publish a book, how to blend writing with entrepreneurship, how to launch a book or online business, the average cost of launching a self-published book, how to build a platform and so much more. And even if you want to learn how to live in castles, we go into that a little bit as well. So I hope you uh, enjoy this podcast. I don't want to keep you any longer. And just a reminder, if you do like this podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, my email is matt, M-A-T-T, at livelimitless.net. Uh, I would love to know what you think. And if you do like it, I would also love a, a review on iTunes just so other people can uh, can find it and I get more listeners. That would be much appreciated. Uh, but other than that, let's uh, let's start the podcast. Hey, Derek. Welcome to the, the Live Limitless podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think, did, did we meet just in the, the Pat Flynn thing on, on Facebook? The book yeah, I think we had some, I think we had some mutual friends before that. Um, and we probably hang out in the same circles online. Probably. Yeah. So your name came up a few times and I saw the book you were working on. Yeah. My, my limitless travel. And I remember you, you emailed me a really cool image of kind of like the, as if the book was on the beach. I really liked it. <laughs> That's fun. I try to, I, I um, I try to limit 
my interaction a little bit more because I'm trying to get more writing done. But usually mm-hmm. if I'm online and I someone asks for feedback on something and I can make them something quickly, then I usually like to try to help. Yeah, it was really cool. I, 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 that's one thing I don't know much about. And it's hard in the online world, I find, because you try to do everything in the beginning. And, uh, yeah, it's really hard to... And design makes such a big difference. Like when you're trying mm-hmm. to build anything online, if it's, a, if it's a book or it's your free offer or your website or whatever, design is really like an easy thing to get right that increases trust and um, conversion and everything. Yeah, that's true. Right? I could see that even with uh, with Kindle books because there's so many out there, so you want to be the first to attract. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, so you write, from what I've noticed, you have your... Uh, you write novels, but you also teach um, book marketing. Mostly publishing right? and design and stuff. Um, I was doing book editing when I got my master's and my PhD, and then I started doing book cover design. I also did fine art, like oil painting for a while, so I did um, book covers for my editing clients. And then I just started, like I was putting out my own nonfiction, so I started learning about um, book marketing. And so eventually the book cover design business actually took off the most just because there's such a huge demand because everybody knows the cover is so important and books are one of those products like usually a designer can't um my friends who are designers if you try to do something like logo design or um business cards you can't make a lot of money because there's so many designers out there but um a book is like a a big life goal a lot of people took years writing it so they're they're willing to spend a lot of money to make it look right and to market it Um, which is kind of nice. The other designers I know who make money, they do websites, but they do websites for like businesses. So like if I do a website for an author, I can't charge that much because authors won't spend a lot of money on a website, but a business will spend 10 or $20,000 because they can earn it back. Um, It's interesting. I mean, with anything, it's just, if you want to start an online business, you decide who you want to serve specifically. And then whoever has, whoever can make the most money from the thing that, they're hiring you for those are the people who can pay better so you can do the same job and earn a lot more money right and then so for for book covers do you usually do it is it mainly for self-published authors or for for anyone yeah mainly um traditionally published authors often they'll have it they'll have an in-house designer um however there's a lot of small presses who say they offer like a a publishing package and so they say they'll include the book cover design in the package, but a lot of like mid-size, mid-level presses or publishers, they're not great at cover design actually. So even if they have an in-house designer, they might not be very good. So I have some people who like they hired someone else or they signed a contract, but they still come to me because they know they want a better cover. Um, usually like if you're paying for just a package publishing deal, then they're not going to spend the time and the money on the cover that it really deserves. And it is really important um, when you're publishing a book. So I have people who know that and they come to me anyway, even if they know they're paying extra. Hmm, Yeah, it's it's really, it's it's kind of interesting. Like I've been doing some research lately uh, for children's books because that's something Mm -hmm. that I'd really, really love to do. And I find it's a bit of a different world because it seems like it would be difficult to self-publish a picture book because it's not the same if you can't hold it, I don't think. Or, yeah, um, a little different. Um, I, I actually think children's books are really exciting, and I don't think people are really doing them as well in the self-publishing world. It's really not 
so hard. And I think you could do a lot of the same like free book or cheap Kindle book promotion strategies. Yeah. But um, people think of, I think I think a lot of young parents would actually buy a lot of children's books on their iPad and just read it to their kids on their iPad because I think that's more convenient. Um, I think that's they, like even though you think of children's books as like the big heavy cardboard books, yeah. um, those are harder to produce. But I don't necessarily think all parents are really using those kind of books anymore. I think a lot of parents, young parents, would just you know download a bunch of stuff on Kindle and try to find something good. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, authors think children's books are harder to to design or to produce, but really it's it's almost as simple as formatting um, a regular book. Mostly it's just illustrations, so you need to hire a really good illustrator. Yeah, and I guess that's more the, the expensive part, perhaps. Yeah, that can be really expensive. I've done some stuff, like I've hired illustrators, ever. Um, I've done a few picture books. I don't really promote them, but they're I, I made them kind of to practice, and I put them up online. Um, I have one that's like, let's say, you know, think and grow rich. I have one that's color and grow rich, so it's just a bunch of quotes from the think and grow rich book in like decorated decorations, so they can color their books and think about the manifesting money at the same time. Yeah, just kind of a fun concept, but it wasn't difficult to put together. You can hire someone on Fiverr to do illustrations for you probably for like 10 or $15 per illustration yeah. um, up to like 50 for a nice full, co- full color illustration. So yeah, I mean a, a normal picture book has like 20 pages, so it can be expensive, but um, and you yeah, I don't know if you're like if you're starting off with any new business, it's always a risk to spend a lot of money building your product, mm-hmm. um, which is a problem. Like if children's books are more expensive, but I think if you do a, a simple children's books with simple illustrations, even like black and white, just to test it out, and then you could go back and hire someone to to make the illustrations better later because the story is really going to matter the most. Yeah, and I it's I um, there was a not really recent there was a children's book that had hit, hit the New York Times bestseller, so I contacted that author because she was actually a first time author, so it's a pretty big thing mm-hmm. to hit the New York Times bestseller list, especially with with a, with a children's book and. Uh, she even told me that if you're, at least if your goal is to get published, that it's not even really worth having an illustrator first because they'll probably want to pair you up with someone mm-hmm. they know who's like maybe on trend, you know, that kind of right. stuff. But, but I guess if you own the images from the Fiverr artist, then it doesn't matter if you change them. There's no, no rights to worry about. Right? Yeah, you just have to make sure you know what rights you're getting when you hire them. Yeah. Um, but usually when you pay for illustration, you have the rights to, to change or to publish. Um, okay. And it's harder. You have to do more work. Like to get a New York Times bestseller, you have to sell over 10,000 copies in a week, I think. Right. Um, that's hard to do if you're like, if it's your first book. Um, so you have to kind of know what you're doing. But if you manage it and you're self-publishing, you'll earn so much more money from it. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, so have you always been kind of an author slash entrepreneur or did, like what's uh, what's been kind of your path to get to where you are? Yeah, I've, um, I haven't had a real job for a long time. I was teaching English on and off when I was doing my graduate work in Taiwan, um, but I really didn't like that. And so I kept building kind of online businesses. So I had my editing business and my cover design business. Now I have a few other sites um, I just launched a book marketing course recently, 
and I have a lot of YouTube videos. I'm really, I kind of suck at videos, but I knew I had to, I had to learn how to do it because it's just really good for visibility. So I started doing um, videos and I have about 330,000 views on YouTube, um, which I don't think is great because they're, they're not great videos, but I know that if I start putting out better quality videos, then some people will watch them. Um, and I'm kind of like, I make enough that my wife and I can travel full time, but I don't feel like I'm really doing business that well. I kind of, I'm learning how to make enough to live on without actually working very much. Right. So that's kind of the goal. I'm not quite completely on passive income yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. So by the end of the year, hopefully I'll just be writing full time. Um, I switched into fiction and it's going well, but I'm not earning money from my fiction books yet because most of the stuff I've done I've put out is from my free books just to build my platform so I think I can earn pretty good money with fiction books but um right now I'm I'm still juggling some stuff and doing some client work and is that do you think like for starting a platform I guess it helps if in your case you target uh just young adults right from what I've for 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 business for for online business you have to make something that people want. So no matter what you are trying to do, you have to find a group of people who need or want something or they have some goal that they can't do themselves and you have to solve that issue for them or offer them something that they that saves them time or money. Um, that's the easy way to start a business. With fiction, it's a little different. Um, with nonfiction, it's kind of the same thing as with any business. You just, you're teaching something. People buy nonfiction to learn something. With fiction, you have to be able to tell a good enough story and it's basically entertainment. So you have to be able to entertain someone enough that they continue reading the story. And if you don't entertain them enough, then they stop reading um, and quit. And ideally, the way to make money with fiction is that you entertain them enough through the first book that they want to read the second book, the third book. And then you have series, and then you have multiple series. Um, it's really hard to make money with just one novel if you're self-publishing. So series are really where the better money is. Um, or if you just tell, I mean, you could write a really good standalone book and write several of them, but you really, I mean, to make money, you have to be publishing at least a couple times a year because your books will always kind of lose visibility over time. Right. Um, but the nice thing about fiction is that the readership is about 10 times bigger and they read time t- 10 times faster. So instead of like nonfiction adult readers might read one book a month, if they're lucky, but most fiction readers will read 10 books a month because they read it um, as a distraction right. to their to their normal life. They read it for entertainment value. So if you have a good fiction book in a popular genre and you get it up in the ranking a bit, it's possible to earn quite a bit of money from fiction. And have you like always been a writer for the most part? I wasn't. I don't know. I, I guess I kind of was. Um, I did art for a long time, like painting and fine art. So I think there's this, um, I want to say kind of prejudice, but people think writers and artists are different kinds of people. Artists are more like visual and feely. Um, I think I'm pretty good at both skills. I think I can, I think I'm also a visual writer though. Part of the, what makes my fiction strong, I think, um, on the one hand, I plot really well, so I really had to research plotting and structure. And um, I'm writing young adult fiction, so I make sure I know all of the tropes and all the cliches in that genre. I also write for market, so I'm writing popular fiction. So I'm not trying to write. Um, there's this weird thing with with creativity and art where 
people think if you write for other people or for the public, then you're not creating real art. And real art is only something that you produce without a market, without, um, like, it's not for anything. It's not for anybody. It's just right. pure expression of your your soul or whatever. Um, I don't believe that. So I don't write books just for myself that I think are art because I don't, I think one, it's a waste of time because I'm just doing it for myself. Um, so I think it's kind of selfish to, to spend a lot of time doing that. And then also if I'm going to spend so much time writing something, I'd rather it earn some money so I can spend more of my time writing more things. So it really comes down to, you have to make something that other people enjoy. And for almost all popular fiction, um, all bestsellers in popular fiction, they all have, they're not exactly cliched, but they definitely follow the same tropes and the same structure. So you kind of have to include those things. Readers for popular fiction, they're not looking for something really new. They're looking for another reading experience like the last one that they, that they really enjoyed. So you have to do right. something like it with young adult, you have to do everything that everybody else has already been doing, but just frame it, differently so it's a new right. reading experience um so on the one hand it's not totally like i don't feel like it's very creative because i have a very specific structure and plan um but on the other hand i think my visual side helps because I, I i have really um i have very visual scenes so i make sure of my scenes like no matter what's happening in the plot the background the setting um is the picture that's going to stick in readers mind so i think i developed that a lot so when they finish reading the book those are the pictures that they're going to be left with. Um, I think that's important. So, I mean, I think there's a bridge between my visual side and my writing side, but um, I don't know. I like books. I like art. I don't think it's mutually exclusive. No, for sure. And and it's funny, even with me, I found that actually I still find myself almost today, like hiding from writing. Like I, I know I want to do it, but it's, I don't know. It's just, it's harder for me to, like kind of what, what actually got me thinking more that I should write was actually in business school. <laughs> so I got a, I was taking, I think, I think it was just an English course, like an English writing class. And I think we had to do like an observation study where we go somewhere in the city and just write what we observe. Mm -hmm. And when I handed it in, she was just like, I think when, when, after when she, she graded me, she said, I, as I was reading it, I wondered like, what this guy is doing in business just because i think like a typical business student probably wrote in point form you know like i right. uh, saw a cup saw a plate whereas i i took it in a different direction and kind of made it more like like poetry so she was surprised by that and that's when i kind of thought like maybe i should start writing even if it's just as a hobby mm -hmm. and now of course with the online world it's a little easier to maybe turn it into a reality than it was before um do you, do you like do you almost always recommend self-publishing or do you also almost have always like yeah um it depends if you have a big it's really hard to if it's non-fiction they won't publish you unless um like maybe literary non-fiction if it's a an amazing story or something but for almost all business non-fiction they look at your platform first so unless you have a platform um of at least probably like a hundred thousand followers i don't think any big publisher would consider you. Um, but if you had a platform of a hundred thousand followers, you'd make so much more money self-publishing that it's like, there's no reason to, right. to publish. Traditional publishers can get you in bookstores and they can give you a, a wider reach. Um, but even if you sign a deal with a big traditional 
publisher, you probably won't get that bookshelf space. So even though they can do it, they probably won't do it for you um, unless your platform is really huge because that space is really limited. And then there's thousands of smaller publishing houses. So you can say you're traditionally published, but those smaller publishing houses, they don't have the reach and they can't get you on bookstores. So even though it, like it, it helps to have someone else be taking care of everything for you, they're only doing it because they're taking a big cut of your profit. And really you're going to be like the sales are going to depend on your own marketing and efforts anyway. So I think as long as it's all up to you, you might as well do the work um, and keep the profit. So a lot of the kind of crazy success stories like the, say the Harry Potter is more like winning the lottery, right? Yeah, because it's um, like they do, she got rejected, I don't know, like 23 times or something before right. someone picked up her first book. Um, so you, there's, there's always the possibility, like you can apply to a lot of book publishers and get rejected a lot and still eventually get a contract and still eventually, you know, sell millions of copies. So that's one way, um, you have to, she all, I mean, when she was publishing too, it was just, it was still a little early. So she didn't really have the same kind of opportunities that exist right now. Right. Yeah, um, true. But to query a, a publisher, you have to, um, wait a year and then wait another year to get it published. So it's kind of two years lost that you really could be writing your next book or building your platform. Whereas a lot of authors will just, once someone buys the book, they just won't do anything else because they feel like it's all being taken care of, Mm -hmm. which can be a big waste of time. I think putting out a book is great. um, Especially if you're doing nonfiction or you're building a business, it's a really easy way to get a big boost in visibility. I think if you're starting any kind of a blog, um, the stuff that comes up in Google results first, Amazon pages usually show up pretty quickly. And also Goodreads, um, Goodreads categories comes up really quick. So if you Google anything like travel writing or travel hacking, um, probably some Amazon book will show up and some Goodreads page will show up. So though, if you have a book, those are two easy ways you can get on the first page of Google. Whereas if you just start, like if you want to start a travel writing blog, there's millions of, of competitors. You'd never show up even in the first like hundred pages of Google. So it's easy to get buried, but um, not that many travel writers are publishing books because it's a little harder. Mm-hmm. Um, but really you can even just take some of your blog posts and put a cover on it and publish it and just get more visibility that way. <clears throat> yeah. And then there's also the, you've, I'm sure you've heard of um, uh, the guy who wrote the Martian. Yeah, because I listened to his podcast, and that was an interesting story too of how he self-published it in chunks as he built up his readers, and I guess they kept asking for more, and he kept self-publishing it, and then he self-published the full book on Kindle, and then he actually got the deal from the publishers because right. it, it was doing so well that they wanted it, and then they picked it. Which up is the way it, it usually works. People, you usually have to sell about um, ten thousand copies before a publisher will be interested. And he was probably selling, I don't know, 100,000 or something. Mm. So, it's, I mean, it's hard. Most self-published books, like the vast majority of self-published books, will never sell more than 100 copies. Um, so even authors, I have friends who they built their platform really well. They worked really hard. They have amazing covers. Um, but they just, most of the time, it's just that they didn't, the story doesn't hook readers the right way. It didn't, like, it wasn't the kind of story that readers wanted to read or their marketing was off their targeting was off so they didn't attract the right readers to read their book so the readers that 
started reading their book just weren't interested in it because they thought it was, you know, something else. Right. Um, but if you do everything right, most books, like most authors are publishing books for themselves. So they're not, they're not products that will entertain a readership. They're just kind of random cross-genre things that usually it's an author's first book. It's kind of their, like, experiment. It's usually autobiographical. autobiographical. So it just doesn't appeal to a lot of people. So they can type out their own network of friends and family, which is about 100, um, and after that the book sinks. So unless you're really trying to write a popular story that's going to appeal to a lot of people, um, that can happen by accident. Like if you read tons of science fiction, you're a huge science fiction fan, um, you probably internalize a lot of the writing standards of those books that you like. So when you're trying to write something really good, you kind of already have a sense of how to do plotting or what kind of story um, hooks a reader. So it can happen by accident if you just, if, even if you're committed like to the art. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the times it doesn't. So a lot of the times, like maybe one in a thousand accidentally writes a bestseller because it appeals to a lot of people, but most people just write something that doesn't have any appeal. So even if they work really hard really going to sell very well. Um, I've done things differently by just, I focus on writing books that sell. So people, it's weird because some people will say I'm, I'm like a sellout or I'm not writing real books because I'm doing it intentionally because I'm writing books I know readers will like. Um, but I think that's pretty weird because readers like my books. Readers of, you know, the book, of the genres that I'm writing. I write like young adult fantasy or dystopian or um, paranormal romance. Readers who really like famous books in that genre, they also like my books because my books are... Um, at the same quality level, and they include the same kind of things that are that are notable for those genres. So I, I don't feel like I'm, I don't know, it's weird to say, to be accused of like selling out or not being creative when you're writing books that readers read and enjoy more, yeah, exactly. like full, um, other people might have a better written, more creative book that nobody enjoys. So it's hard to, you know, hard to say which one is better, which one is art. Um, for me, if it sells and people are willing to pay for it, that's that's a major win. That's an indication that you're providing value to your readers. And I think if you're not providing value to your readers and they don't really enjoy the story, you don't really deserve to get any income from it. And I think sometimes it really helps with the artistic expression to to create those kind of boundaries so that you have like yeah, the framework to work with. I think that's a big part it. of it. Um, a lot of authors, they might be really good writers. They might have a lot of creativity, but... Um, if they didn't plot well, then they just fumble around and the story probably sags in the middle and just doesn't have the right kind of pace. And if you lose a reader's attention in the middle of the book, that's a huge problem because if they don't finish the book, they'll never go on to buy another one. And so what would you, how would you go about, like if someone was just starting out, like let's, uh, we can even use, use me as an example if I wanted to start doing children's books, um, how would you start building a platform? Children's books are pretty tricky because your buyers aren't going to be the children. Right. Um, But I think as long as you, like one, I would try to get a lot of the web traffic because a lot of children's books authors, they're not bloggers. They don't know SEO. Um, So for example, I have like a mermaid fantasy book. So I've, it's not a very competitive keyword and most fiction authors aren't really doing anything with keywords. So all I need to do is get 
Um, I put up a post like the 25 best young adult mermaid fantasy books. Um, I have other people who talk about mermaid fantasy stuff and they link to my Amazon book. If you Google like young adult mermaid fantasy book on Google or on Amazon, my book will come up really quickly. I think you can do that with children's books as long as it's specific. So like if you had, um, I have a friend who does dinosaur children's books. So if you can write the kind of post that parents will be searching for, like parents will be, if their kids love dinosaurs, they'll be searching for the best dinosaur children's books of 2016. So if you've written a post with that title, you're going to show up number one in Google. And most other authors aren't doing that because they only have their one book. So maybe they they do something like they might talk about their own book, but they probably won't put together like a top 25 dinosaur books for children's or something like that. Um, right. If you're doing those kinds of posts and posting them on bigger sites and you make like a slide share, you make a YouTube video, you're going to rank really well on Google. So when parents are searching for those types of children's books, they can find you, you can show up. Um, and then you just have your book in that, in that list of best books, or you have those posts linking straight to your book on Amazon with the keywords, you know, dinosaur book for children. I think those kind of things, especially because a lot of children's books are still traditionally published and traditional publishers don't do any of that stuff yet because they're so focused on print and bookstores. Um, I think it's actually pretty easy to rank ahead of everybody else. And so if you like, if you want it to be your thing, if you want to be the children's book king of some topic, what I do, because I want to, I want to pretty much dominate every genre. And with me, it's Um, animals kind of thing. Sorry? With me, I've I've realized that with with children's books, that all my topics, when I think of them and write them out, it's always around uh, um, like an insect or an animal, like some kind of Mm -hmm. creature. Like it's so they have like an educational specific than animals. Right. But especially if you were doing like science based book, so like the top 10 arachnid or insects or um, mammals or undersea creatures, like if you're a little more specific. Um, Because otherwise, I mean, if it's children's books with animals, I think it's too broad to rank really well for. Although that would be a good, a good start. Yeah. So, and then traditionally, like, so like, let's say, so, and then I guess you would be working on getting emails and and that kind of stuff. I do book giveaways. So what I would do, I would write my book, like the top 10 best um, children's books with animals, 2016. And then I would have a giveaway and I would include, like I'd search on Amazon for the top 10 bestsellers and I'd package all those up. Um, You can order them all on Amazon and then I'd use King Sumo giveaways and just say, sign up here to win these 10 best-selling children's books about animals. And then I would use, I'd use Facebook advertising to reach people who are either, like I, if you wanted, you could focus on um, an area or you could just focus on all of the people who liked those children's books. Like usually you can like the author or the name right. um, or just people who like children's books, but that's a little bit too general. But then I'd spend a lot of on Facebook advertising to to send people to that giveaway because the giveaway is a really easy opt-in choice. You'll get a lot of signups, and those are people who want to win children's books, so they're your natural target audience. Um, and then after that, when you have a big list, you can ask them if anybody wants a free book to be a beta reader. You can announce when your Kindle book is free. Um, it's usually hard to sell 
to an audience that you built with giveaways, but you can build a relationship. You can give them excerpts or involve them in your publishing process um, to kind of get the book on the radar. And then you do something with your launch, like um, if you buy my book during launch week, I'll send you this, you know, free Amazon or this free animal poster or like a, a big picture of some of the art, something like that. Yeah. Just to, as a way to do a, lot, a really successful launch, it's usually a good idea to have packages. So if you buy a book or if you buy 10 books, then I'll, I'll give you this big prize. It's an easy way to drive sales on launch. And sometimes I wonder too with my, since I already have a blog that's, uh, I guess mostly travel related, but since a lot of my stories are inspired by travel, by the certain, cause we do a lot of like wildlife tours and, or, uh, adventures kind of in the jungle and stuff like that. So that's how I learn about them. And then I create more of a, a story around that almost like, mm-hmm. like a Pixar, you know, how they, they, they focus a lot on like Nemo and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I often wonder if the people who already read my blog, if they have kids, maybe they'd be interested yeah. in those stories. You want to use whatever you have. Um, I don't usually sell my fiction to my nonfiction audience because it's like I know they're not interested. But, right. for example, um, in this next launch, I'll probably offer my book launch cheat sheet. So, like, the the bullet points of what I'm doing for this fiction launch for anybody who buys the pre-order of my fiction book. So even if they're not interested in my fiction, they'll probably buy it to get the cheat sheet of my book launch plan because they know I know what I'm doing with book marketing. Right. Um, so I'll probably get a few hundred pre-orders from my list that way, even though they're not really my audience. And do you usually sell your books at like more of that, that 99 cent to 299 range, or do you go up to the, the more standard book pricing, like 10 to $15? For an ebook, yeah, no, it's uh, two ninety nine. Okay, you can discount it to ninety nine cents with launch, or like every month or two, you want to discount it and just some promotion to keep the rank high. But otherwise, two ninety nine sells the best. Um, for the print book, it'll be more like ten or twelve. Oh, okay, and um, what was I going to ask? I was going to was what's what's typically your your process for writing a book? I actually start with the covers first, okay. which is kind of weird, but I'm a designer, so I, I find really good art that I know will sell really well for some genre. And then I make a, I start making a story. Um, I've done that for all my books so far, and it, it actually works really well for me. So I just, you know, I start off with a picture, and I think of what kind of story would go with this picture, and then what kind of story would satisfy readers of this audience um and then i just weave in everything i know so i all the places that i've lived in or my background is in mythology and philosophy so i have a lot of um mythological stories and history built into my fiction books so that's kind of my process it's um but i definitely i definitely plot a lot um I know a lot of people are pantsers, and pantsing works. Pantsing means you write from the seat of your pants, but you don't have a plan. That works okay for books like romance, where it's mostly about the relationship and not about the story, and then maybe for, like, contemporary fiction. But for most commercial fiction, having a strong plot is really essential, Um, and it just makes the writing so much easier. So if you plot your book out first, either for nonfiction or fiction, 
Um, if you have the outline, you know exactly what happens in every chapter. It's so much easier to just go in and fill the blanks. So it sometimes takes me a really long time to figure out the plot. And that's a, that's a big effort and a big process. Um, but then you're just trying to get the story written. Um, usually you have to write the story down. You have to go chapter by chapter until you finish the first rough draft just to figure out what happens. Great. And then you go back through you know, two or three times cleaning it up. And eventually by like the fourth pass, it's starting to look pretty good. And you can focus on, you know, improving the writing. But um, a lot of authors, they'll get stuck because they'll just try, like the first draft, they'll try to make it good writing or they hate it because the writing is so bad. But right. um, you can't fix everything because you're going to cut it anyway if it doesn't fit the plot. So you can't stop yourself if you feel like the writing isn't good enough in the beginning because it's not going to be. The writing, the good writing comes in the revision period, which is really late after you finish a few rough drafts. And by that point, is it still just you or do you have someone else like who looks over it? Yeah, it's still me. Um, I would love to figure out co-authoring. I have some friends who do co-authoring. But eventually, and I, like I might eventually give it to a proofreader, but I usually don't. Um, I've been doing proofreading for years, and I have a PhD in literature, so I, I miss a lot of my own stuff. It's, it's impossible to edit your own stuff very well. Right. Um, so I'll always have you know 20 or 30 typos in a book, but I, that's not actually so much. that um, As long as it's not distracting from the reading experience, my beta readers will usually pick out most of those, and those are easy fixes. So I just focus on the story. <clears throat> and how long does it usually usually take you to to complete a I've, book? I've put out stuff, shorter stuff, like 50,000 words um, in under a month, but oh. it was really hard. And the one I'm working on right now is is very tough. Um, so ideally, like, it could be a book every three months if I really proofread it and fixed it as much as I should have. Um, but I've put stuff out that's faster. And the funny thing is, like, even some of the stuff that I rushed and I published when it wasn't very good – it's still doing really well on Amazon because it's mostly um, it's mostly about the story. So if the story is really good, readers will overlook a few typos or if the writing is a little bit rough. So, I mean, I, ideally you would want to make it, you know, perfect and polished. But um, even if it's perfect and polished, if the story isn't there, if it's not exciting enough to, to get readers to keep reading, then the polishing doesn't really matter anyway. So I kind of I publish quickly just to see if people like it. Mm-hmm. And then I'll spend more time later on the revision or on part two. Cause I, I mean, it's a different, like, because I'm self-publishing, I, I can kind of do whatever I want. So I do whatever I think is best for me and my readers um, long-term. And I know some people get really upset because they think self-publishers should make a product that's as polished as traditional publishers. But I don't think that's true because we have like the, one of the huge benefits that we have is the flexibility um, to publish quickly and to do innovative things that aren't uh, normal to reach readers. And do you, do you have any kind of daily habits or rituals that help you get the writing done? Maybe. Or no, you... except um, if I can just write first. So if I don't do anything else and I just open my book and I won't do anything else until I've written something for that day. Um, I try to write like a chapter a day, but I can't always get that much. Uh, I know some people use word tracking soft- software, like in Scrivener, you can set your daily target, like two or 3,000 words, and then you just keep writing until 
you hit your target. Um, I'm not that organized, so I just write in Word. I write as much as I can until I can't write anymore. Sometimes the whole day goes and I can't write anything. Um, and then eventually, hopefully I'll finish something, even if it's like today I got a couple paragraphs done, but I feel good about that so that I can go back and focus on work and email and other things. And, and do you, um, so what would you say, like, so someone's, um, if I was writing a travel book, for example, what would you, do you have any kind of rec- recommendations for marketing it? Like how much do you typically, cause you said like a uh, Facebook ads, maybe a giveaway and then, uh, that kind of stuff and having a, a great cover. Do you typically also recommend going with the, that Amazon KDP, like where you, where you give them exclusivity? Yeah, I do. Um, and the reason, the reasons are several, but usually it's better for ranking. And also when you're launching a book, instead of splitting the sales on lots of different platforms, you'll get a bigger boost if you send everybody to Amazon. Um, you'll spike the rank up higher, which is important for visibility. As long as you've done everything right, if you have reviews and the cover is great and the description is great and you spike the rank up, um, it should settle pretty high. If it keeps tanking and disappearing, then something's wrong. Your cover's wrong, your description's wrong, um, because it should, or like you wrote something that just has no market, nobody wants it. Right. But generally, you know, you'll get up high enough and it'll stick somewhere. Like mine average in, um, I have like four books and they're all pretty similar, but one average is in like the 3,000 range and one average is in the 200 range. So there's, it's kind of weird because I wrote both of them and they're both similar, but um one of them performs so much better and converts so much better than the others. Um, so it's partly because the cover, it's partly because the description is stronger, it converts better. Um, but you can kind of see, like, based on your average ranking, based on where you your book tends to hang out, you can see how well that book is converting. And if it's not converting as well as you'd like, you need to keep fixing it and keep improving it. Um, cause that's going to make the most difference. So I don't do for those. I don't do any marketing because they're free books. So they, they stick with a paid book. You have to do a really big launch and you have to sell. Um, I would shoot for, I mean, on any launch, I would shoot for a hundred sales on launch day. A hundred sales will get you into the top 1,000, which is good visibility. Um, so you have to kind of know that your platform is big enough that you can, sell 100 sales in a day. So I would build up to that point. And it's not going to make a lot of money if you sell 100 copies. You might, like if it's 99 cents, you won't even make 100 bucks. Um, but if you do a giveaway and you build a list of like 1,000 people, you might spend two or $300 doing a giveaway, a prize on Facebook advertising. But ideally, if you get some, like your list that you've built, that's good for reviews. So you can do a free day campaign and give it to the people who sign up for the giveaway and then try to get some of those people to review the book. So you might get 10 or 20 reviews um, and then you can do a launch day and hopefully sell a hundred books. If you already have reviews and everything is done right. Um, Once you get up to the top 1000, if you can stay there for a week or so, you'll earn your money back pretty quick. So you want to, I mean, there's definitely, I think you should do some pre-launch planning so you can build a big enough platform where you can really launch it well, um, and that's important. Yeah, because then at this time, I, I, th- I think last time I got a lot of help in that, that forum on Facebook, and I didn't do a very strong launch, but maybe just because it was the topic or the travel. But, I mean, it's been doing, 
I think I, it it got it got to number one in three categories on travel, mm-hmm. but this time I definitely want to do a stronger launch, a more focused launch because disp- a lot of people who buy the book who do sign up for my newsletter as well. Uh, mm-hmm. But how much would you typically think the average would spend on on the initial like launch marketing? Like for example, the including the cover and that kind of stuff. I think five hundred on the cheap end. Um, mm-hmm. For nonfiction, you can often get away with like a Fiverr cover or a Nine Nine Designs cover. Right. For fiction, it's trickier because you probably can't get something that's quality enough. Right. Yeah. Um, that price range, but you could probably pull off a decent launch with five hundred bucks. I think for a thousand bucks, you, it's it's risky. Like with a thousand bucks, you might do everything really well, or you might waste a lot of money um, on stuff that doesn't really matter. So it's it's kind of tricky. And I know authors who spend you know, two or $3,000. And I think that's probably too much unless you know what you're doing. Um, for my next launch, I'll probably spend about 2000, but I know exactly what I'm doing with the money and where it's going. Um, and I expect to earn the money back pretty quickly. It doesn't mean that I'll necessarily earn the money back, but, um, there's a better chance because it's not my first launch. Uh, and I've been publishing for a while. And does that include like the, the formatting of the book? Well, I don't pay for covers or formatting because I okay. I do my own and I have my own list. My list, um, my nonfiction list is like 30k, and my fiction list is up to like 15,000. And out of those, there's not that many people who will buy it, but I might be able to get a thousand sales in the at least in the launch week. Um, right. But also because I built a lot of quality relationships with other authors in my genre by promoting their books and supporting them with their book launches, so. If I really called in all the favors um, and I spent some money, I could probably sell a thousand books, hopefully at two ninety nine when I launch, and then I would earn my money back. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So, out of the the five hundred, what is that typically like? The cover, Facebook ads. For launch, I would um, I would do a giveaway first, just to build my list. Okay. Um, because I think that's important. If you're starting with no list, it's a lot harder. Even like if you want to drive free downloads, because um, you need some people to download it to drive the sales rank up. Right. There are other ways to do it. But then uh, apart from that, um, advertising on all the book sites. So there's like e-reader news today or free booksy or um, book librarian. I don't know. There's, there's like 10 or 15 sites that have promo books that you can advertise on. Okay. Um, some of them you can list for free, but some of them are probably worth paying for. BookBub, if you can get a BookBub, is the gold standard. Like you could do a BookBub ad and nothing else, and you'll make tons of money. So okay. it's worth applying for, but they don't approve very many. Um, and they usually don't approve a first book. So they want to see that you have several books out. They want to see lots of reviews um, and some history before they'll – because they have to make like a fast decision of – quality so they they want to see some history before they approve you but then you i mean it's expensive but they have a huge list so you'll sell a lot that way so do you think it's better like if if you're doing the the kdp and whether you whether you launch it for free first or or at a discount price is it better to kind of upload it and then kind of get your your list of early readers to give reviews on it before you do the official launch yeah, that's usually what I do. The other tricky thing is you can um, you can put up the Kindle book for pre-order and you can upload the CreateSpace print version. Okay. And then you can make the CreateSpace print version not available anymore by just 
uploading a new copy of a file and not approving it. So the print book will show is not available, but you can still review the book because it was available. So then I would give out free copies of the books um, using probably the Insta freebie because it's pretty easy. Um, and then I just send all my lists to go download the free book on Insta freebie and then review the book on Amazon. And they can review the print version of the book, but it'll show up on the ebook version of the book. So that's how I get reviews before launching it. It's a little weird like to sell a book at pre-order and then give it away for free and then charge again. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal. So it's kind of whatever you can do to, to spike your ranking, get more visibility. I usually, um, I probably do some of that and then I get some reviews and I put it on pre-order and then I do a free campaign to get lots of downloads. Um, and then I'll leave it at 2.99 for a week and then I'll do a huge 99 cent campaign. I'll advertise on different sites. Usually you're advertising on like different people will be seeing your different promotions. So it's not the same people who paid for it, who sees it's now free. And even if so, like if they spent two bucks on it and now it's free, they're not, they're not going to be horrified or angry. Right. Yeah. And I've also heard another, I don't know if it's new or, but if you have kind of a very trusted audience of sending them, say a gift card, like a $5 Amazon gift card and having them actually purchase the ebook and then making the review. It's a little risky. Um, Amazon's super cracking down. Um, even if you have people on your list or you've had any contact with your Facebook friends, um, they really don't want anybody to review it who has any contact with you at all. So if they can find proof of that, they'll delete the reviews after the fact. Um, which is hard because you're trying to build up your, your platform and you want your followers to review your book. Um, but especially if you give them any reason, like if it's incentivized or you give them any rewards for reviewing or anything, they'll delete the reviews. So mm. I'll usually, instead, I'll do something like, I'll do a launch and I'll say, um, if you pre-order it, I'll send you a postcard or a thank you card or something. Yeah, I mean, it can be, it's a pain in the ass. Like if I, if I pre-order if I sell a thousand pre-orders, I'd have to mail out a thousand things, right. um, which would be a huge pain in the ass. But there's actually, I just saw there's a company that um, that does like online postcards. So you can order 50 postcards from a company for like 50 bucks a month and they'll just ship them for you. So you could just get a virtual assistant to um, fill out the addresses. You'd have to collect the addresses on everyone who pre-ordered a book and then have a VA fill out the addresses and then order all the postcards, but there's ways to do it that probably don't suck quite so much. Yeah. Um, but before I've tried to do like giving away a gift or something to everybody who reviewed it. And it's just, it can get pretty exhausting and time consuming. Yeah, that's true. But um, overall... so I might do it still for like reviews because you won't get more. I mean, if you got a hundred reviews, that'd be awesome. And it'd be worth, you know, taking the time, but for a thousand pre-orders, that it would just take so much time and effort. And if you're mailing everything at like, you know, 50 cents per mail, um, it'd be costly too. Yeah. But in terms of getting the reviews, then it's better, well, for the initial reviews when it's kind of in pre-order mode. I don't know if it's better. Um, I'm not sure if it matters when the reviews come, but you want reviews up before you do any promotion. Even if you're doing a free book campaign, you'll still get a lot more downloads if you have more reviews up early. Um, mm. So I don't know if it's worth 
the, the, there are some advantages to pre-order, but disadvantages too. So I can't say for sure that I always will do pre-order. Um, I like it because you can put it up early and you can have kind of a placeholder. So people can still find your book, you know, three months in advance, even if you're still writing it. And I think that's helpful for visibility. Um, but it kind of screws up your sales ranking when you launch because the first few days it, it kind of calculates the pre-order sales, but it doesn't really boost your rank okay. like it should because they've kind of, um, they've kind of, what's the word? They kind of water them down so that you don't get that spike on launch day from pre-orders, okay. at least on Amazon. On other platforms you do, but on Amazon you don't. So even if you launch really well and get a lot of sales on your launch day, you may not spike up the rank well if you had pre-orders, which can, can hurt because you want a really good rank when you launch. That's kind of the point of doing a launch. Um, so you might instead just build up a big list and try to get everyone to buy it the same day. Um, and that might work better than pre-orders. Mm-hmm. And if you did that, you would just want, you'd want to put out an ARC version of the book somewhere that your readers can download it early so that when it's live, they can buy it and review it the same day. Right. And then you probably need some incentive for them to review it quickly. So it can be a pain. I mean, ideally, like if you have a big platform and they love you and they love your writing, you just have to ask and they'll do it. Right. They'll be happy to buy it and support you. Um, but when you're starting out and you don't have that platform, you kind of have to use whatever hacks you can get um, or use to get that kind of visibility. And after your three months kind of where you're exclusive with Amazon, do you recommend still staying in that program or then uploading the book to say like Kobo and all that? It depends what you're using it for. If it's just for earnings, I think you'll earn more in Amazon than in other sites. But if you're using it for um, visibility, like if it's a free book or a loss leader, I have some, I'm going to put all my business books on permafree soon just because they'll get like 10 times the download and the visibility will stay high. So um, I put those on multiple sites because it's just more chances that people will discover you. And then in those business books, you know, they're hopefully it's some good content and then a good offer at the end to get them back to my email to sign up for something. Um, and if I do that, well, I can get a lot of email opt-ins from those free books, which I can later use to try to pitch a course or something. And your business books, are they, they're all based around the kind of like how to be an author kind of thing, how to self-publish? Yeah, so far they're all publishing and marketing, but um, okay. I'll start putting out some stuff just on how to make money online or how to sell your art. More for like, my, my platform creativity is really just helping creative people make money because most creative people are good at making things, but they, they can't turn the things they like to make into money. profit. And they need the profit to continue making the things they want to make. Right. A lot of creative people, they just, they, they really care about the thing they're doing, but they can't get anybody else to care about it. So they can't make any money from it. Um, so there's a lot of really frustrated creative people who think the world is out to get them. Or the world doesn't value art or, or things like that. So I like to kind of teach artists about business because it's always just about your offer and branding and, um, your pitch and things like that. So I, uh, that's kind of what I'll focus more on in the future. My platform now is mostly authors just because I talk about publishing so much. Yeah. But um, I ho- I'm hoping to kind of broaden out and get more digital nomads and artists, anybody who wants to make money online. And so it would be kind of your, if someone were to ask you like the, just some recommendations if they wanted to, to write their first book, what would be some some quick tips? 
I think the problem authors have is that um, they're always worried about the quality. So they, because the right. first book, you you believe that you can do it because you think you're a good writer, but the first book is so hard, and you want the writing to be good, so you always get stuck and you hate everything you write, um, and especially because the first book usually is like your your life's passion project. It's the one book you really believe in and care about. Um, so you're a perfectionist and you want to make sure everything is perfect. So you spend five years on it and like thousands of dollars and nobody wants it because you wrote something without ever validating the market. So that's something I see happening a lot in fiction and nonfiction, um, which is a big mistake. I think if you're going to write something, try to write something short first, try to write a free book, um, try to write like a novella, like a 10,000 word story. It can be nonfiction or fiction, but just to write something that you don't really care about, that's kind of just for practice. See if you can write 10,000 words that people will download for free and enjoy enough that they review it positively. Because um, that's really hard, but you get all the mm-hmm. experience that you need that you can use for your main book later. Um, because a lot of authors, like, they make all their mistakes on their first book that they really care about, and it doesn't sell well because they've made all these mistakes, and that's the one that they cared the most about, which is... Um, really frustrating. So you can't, I mean, if you're doing something new for the first time, whether business or anything else, the first thing you make is not going to be your best thing. And if it's your first time publishing or trying to sell something or um, writing a book, book cover design, setting up a website, everything you do for the first time is going to be not so great. So it's, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a good idea to test the waters with something different that's shorter that you can do in like a month just to finish something and put it up there which will give you a lot of confidence and experience that you can go back to your main project again um so i always recommend that especially if people have been like for years they've been saying they have this book project but they just can't do it they always get stuck with it that's usually the problem it's just it's not really motivation it's just they care too much about it so they're they're kind of um possessive and controlling and they just can't let go they can't just let go and relax and for your first like rough draft you have to be able to write shit and just keep moving on because otherwise you'll never get past the first chapter yeah and i I always found it i find i always found it kind of hard to because even when you're done i mean i i think you you have to get editing right like you have to get someone to proofread it i would think Yeah, yeah i don't always say that it's necessary just because um, I don't think publishing should necessarily only be for people who have disposable income because there's a lot of people who don't have editing for like a 50 K book. Editing is probably going to be at least a thousand bucks. So right. if you don't have a thousand bucks to spend on editing, I don't think it means that you can't publish. You're not allowed to publish your, your fiction. Um, you can put your stuff up on Wattpad. You can put it up for free on your blog or website, but I think it's fine to put something up on Amazon with a cover, um, even if you can't afford a professional editor, because you'll get feedback from readers. If you're if your writing sucks or if you have terrible grammar or terrible spelling, um, you'll get a lot of negative reviews really quickly, and that's solid feedback, and you'll know that you need to spend more time on the editing. Um, that, of course, can be risky, and if you have disposable income or if you have the money and this is really a big project, then it's worth spending money on editing for. But I don't think it's – I don't like to say that it's a requirement – and what's usually the process for, like, do you have any recommendations for getting, for formatting, say, your writing from Word into, into uh, for the Kindle? 
Um, yeah, you can actually just upload a Kindle file, uh, sorry, a Word file, which is probably good enough. Um, I like to embed fonts in my Kindle books, but you don't really need to. A lot of traditional publishers, they keep their eBooks really simple just because um, it's going to get broken on some platforms. It's not going to look the same on every Kindle de- or every ebook reader device. So right. big publishers usually just have like super simple, super simple um, design, which is just, I mean, with Word, you just format using the header one tags um, for your chapter headings, and then you break it up between between the, the sections of the book. It's pretty easy. I have a DIYbookformats.com, which has free templates and videos um, for formatting stuff, which, I mean, it's a huge pain in the ass. I don't really like, I, I don't enjoy formatting, but um, yeah. I know how to do it. So I try to teach other people to do it because I don't want to, I don't want to do it myself. So I just make resources for other people. Yeah, because I would think if you hire someone, I guess you're looking at 500 as well. Or more? No, it's um, cheaper for is word it? formatting. It's probably about a hundred bucks for okay. ebook formatting. It can be fifty. You can get people on Fiverr to do it. If you want it done really well in InDesign, um, and if it's nonfiction, there's a lot of special stuff like tables. Then it might cost more, like five hundred. Um, but even with InDesign, you can get it done for like three hundred. It's a it's a low it's a low what's the word? Um, it's not specialized labor. So Anybody can really do it. And I, I like, I mean, I think the design does matter. So I think it's worth getting it done well. And I know a lot of people who format their own books, or if you get it done on Fiverr, you might get pretty bad formatting done. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal, but I think if you hire, I think you can hire a good designer for maybe one or $200. Um, if you know something about design, if you don't know anything about design, you could hire a designer who does ugly work and you wouldn't know any right, better. Right. So I think that's the risk is that there's just, there's so many options. Um, and it's hard to know if you don't know what you're doing, the, the risk is either a designer won't be very good or a designer will do exactly what you tell them to do. Cause if you're not a designer and you're publishing your first book, you'll have all these ideas that you like and you'll tell the designer to do them. The designer will do whatever you want cause you're paying, right. but you can still get a really ugly book if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and most authors make bad choices when it comes to design, which is uh, difficult because when you're self-publishing, you're the boss. You have all the control. Um, so I always have like a – not a fight, but I always – when I when people hire me, I'm pretty clear on my website that I'm not going to make what they want me to make. I'm going to make them something that's going to sell the book um, and, and it's going to be professionally designed because I – they're hiring me because I'm the expert and I know better. Um, but I usually won't just make them what they think they want for the cover because I'm, it's probably not going to be a good idea. Right. Yeah. And I know, I know like, like when I released my book on, I had a friend help me and he was really good, but, um, to format it, but it was, even that was kind of a headache just to get it. So it fits half decent on say the phone, the Kindle app, and then the actual Kindle and then the iPad. (laughs) Yeah, that's why I won't do formatting anymore just because, like, it it takes me about an hour to format a book, so it's really quick. But um, every time it'll turn into a three-month project because people will be asking for revisions or there's some problem or it doesn't look good on this thing. or So it, it's um, you can't charge enough to make it worth my while um, because it's kind of a low-cost service. Right. 
and there, and there's just so many things that can go wrong and there's always typos and you know punctuation errors that aren't caught and um you know it's it's like months of revision so you ideally you'd want to be able to control your own ebook files and just formatting word um have a designer send you the word files and then set it up put the word file in uh caliber i usually use caliber and then sigil although I think Calibre just fixed, it just has an updated version where you can edit the text, or at least you can edit the code in Calibre before you could just set that in Sigil. Anyway, um, if you can get someone else to design the files, but then get the free tools or software to be able to make changes at least, that's, that's a big benefit. Because if I format it like in InDesign, unless you have InDesign, you can't make any changes. And so I would have to make all the changes again in the future. Yeah, you would think you would think Amazon would have released kind of a a simple tool, no, for uploading. Yeah, they don't. But um, you can upload the Word file, and if you've done it right, it'll look pretty good. So, um, at least for the the ebook with with print formatting, if you don't know what you're doing, you can still make a lot of mistakes, and they just right. kind of print whatever you upload. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, before we. Ken, I'll just ask you just a couple more questions, but more on the on the fun side. So there's a lot of talk of you and castles. <laughs> are you actually in, are you in Ireland right now? I'm in Ireland right now, okay. um, partly because the fiction I'm writing is set in different places. So we were in Bulgaria before because I, my book was based on Orpheus and Dionysus, okay. and this one is like a mermaid romance set in Ireland based on Irish mythology. Um, so that's the plan. It's kind of like I want to come and visit all the places that are in my book just so I can write about it a little more realistically. Um, but yeah, we're kind of, we're not really doing the tourist thing. We're kind of just hanging out. Um, we're in Port Rush, which is a nice little place on the Northern coast. And then in a few weeks we'll go to France and we rented a castle for NaNoWriMo, which is national novel writing month. Mm-hmm. So I'll just be there in a castle for a month, um, writing full time. So, Hopefully when I'm there, I'll finish up most of my client work and I can just finish a lot of writing. I'm going to be with about 10 other authors and we're all just going to be focused on writing books. So that should be pretty cool. And is that something you organize? Because I remember you talking yeah, about... Um, I want to buy a castle and use it as a writer's retreat. That's kind of my like my long-term life plan. So yeah. um, eventually I would build my platform big enough that I could kickstart it and buy a castle. I'm not there yet, but in the meantime... It's kind of a proof of concept because when I talk about it, people are like, well, that's never going to happen. But um, this way I can rent a castle for a month or two every year, um, do a writing retreat, invite guests to come and and write with me. And that kind of sets – there's a little bit more credibility because I've kind of done it. People can see the pictures and the videos um, and they know that I'm – it's not just all talk. Right, yeah. And, and there's a lot of castles on Airbnb, which are pretty amazing. Um, so I, we could actually, like, my wife and I could live in castles full-time just if we rented one room. Yeah. Um, you can rent, you can live in a castle for, like, maybe 2000 a month, but there are some that are cheaper. Huh. But if you want to rent a castle, this castle has, like, nine bedrooms, so it's a lot more expensive. Um, it's probably not... I mean, it's questionable. Like, I, I won't be earning money from it because I'm not doing it for profit. Um, but I think it'll be worthwhile anyway because it's just doing really big events that people talk about kind of make me more memorable. They're, they're good for my platform, 
my fiction and my nonfiction. It's just kind of like a symbol of what I stand for and what I want out of life. So yeah. having that kind of stuff and making it real by actually doing it, um, I think that's good for my my businesses and my fiction and everything. And what an inspiring way to write, right? Like there's not a lot of people who would uh, who would do that as they're writing kind of in the setting. I think it should so. be really nice. It's kind of, it's not like a, it was hard picking a castle. It's kind of more like a spooky old mansion, um, but it's, it's like a chateau, I guess. But um, it's pretty cool, I think. I think we'll have a good time. Yeah, it's very cool. It sounds cool. I wish I could could be there. Um, and then just last question, do you have any favorite books or blogs or podcasts or anything like that that you'd recommend? I'm not. I don't listen to podcasts. Okay. Um, I, I try to kind of keep up with what's happening online, um, and I, but I don't listen to podcasts. I, I kind of waste probably my time on TV for books. Um, I skim through a lot of nonfiction. I read a lot of, or I have read a lot of business books. Um, Which one inspired so you to remember. live? The three that I always recommend for fiction writing is Plot Perfect, Story Grid, and Story Fix. Because okay. people ask me all the time about writing, and I, it's always a problem with the story. So I think those three books really help teach not only gr- like story structure and, and um, plotting, but also why it's important to write for market. Write for market by Chris Fox is another really good book. Um, but it's just basically it's about if I think if you are writing anything, you need to consider it like a business. So you are building a product, and if you want to earn any return on your investment i think if you're going to spend a lot of time because writing a book takes a lot of time so if you're going to spend that much time building something you want to build a product that makes money otherwise it's sort of a waste um so, so I, I mean i think it's i think it's always a good idea to learn about plotting and structure and writing as a business and writing to market because i think that'll just you'll be able to write the kind of book that sells so right. much easier and that's really just a mindset it's not a different style of writing it's just making a decision to write the kind of book that readers are going to enjoy um, and i think if you make that decision before you start writing you'll save yourself so much time and effort and money awesome well yeah it's been a an awesome talk derek uh, thanks for, for for coming on I, I don't know what time it is where you are probably the morning or something it's like 3 20 a.m so it's okay sure enough is that when you also do like writing at night or or no? Yeah, I wake up at like 6 p.m. Okay. And then I we go out for dinner, and then I work all night. It's a pretty okay. weird schedule. Wow, yeah, it's oh, very yeah. different. Yeah. I kind <clears> of um, I just I I sleep when I'm tired, and I wake up when I wake up. If I try to like schedule myself to wake up, or I wake up to an alarm or something, I'll be tired all day. So I hmm. I kind of gave up. I'm trying to do that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I I, so I sometimes I think I'm more of I'm more of a night person, but my problem is. I, for some reason, my body won't sleep past. I don't know if it's just because of schedules lately, but let's say eight. So it doesn't. If I go to bed at three, I'll still wake up at eight. And if I go to bed mm-hmm. at midnight, I still wake up at eight. So it's um, it kind of ruins that part for me. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to do it for sure because I just like the the peacefulness at nighttime. Um, and just for for anyone that wants to to reach out to you, uh, urbanepics.com is where your novels are, right? Yeah, they're. My fiction stuff, fiction, yeah. um, and then creativeindie.com is my main, like my main platform. Yep. And anywhere else they can reach you, like a social media or anything, or mainly just the websites. 
Yeah, I use Creativity from my social media. So it's okay. Facebook at Creativity and Twitter at Creativity. Um, I don't really, I should have divided a new everything for fiction, um, but I don't just because it's easier to keep them together. All right, sounds good. And I'll put that all in the, the show notes as well. And uh, if you do have anything, I, I remember you mentioned there's like, uh, maybe it's not such a big deal because I think you offer this if they sign up for your website anyways, but you had mentioned 10 to 15 kind of, sites that are good for for marketing your book when it's active Maybe I can yeah i have a big list um somewhere i bet if you google like best free book submission sites or something you'll okay. probably find one of mine um i'll put everything up i'm going to be building that um like cheat sheet soon so when i launch my next novel i'll have a cheat sheet and i'll have a list of all the sites i use on that also okay all right sounds good well yeah it was it was awesome uh awesome talking with you yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, no problem. All right, well, that's it for the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I know uh, my head's just swimming with ideas now, especially since I'm looking to uh, to write another travel book called Limitless Travel 2.0, a much more expanded edition. So now I have a lot of ideas for, uh, for marketing that. But uh, if you'd like to see the show notes or any of the links to what was mentioned in the podcast or if you'd even like to ask a question to Derek uh, you can leave a comment on the podcast page just head on over to livelimitless.net click on podcast or search for Derek Murphy and you'll find episode number 22 and uh, other than that we'll see you next week